your Bible, go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Stand up on your feet with me. And uh, we're going to continue in our series today. A City on a Hill. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 10. We're going to start at verse 25. I'm going to read a very familiar passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through verse 37. These are some of the words of Christ. Here's what it says in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, being the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And then Jesus answered and he said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, uh, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, he came and looked, and he passed on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on the oil and the wine, and he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Verse 36, so Jesus said, So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Lord, I pray this morning that your word would speak to our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, everything that you have for us, that today, that you would breathe upon this this word, this story of timeless truth and make it alive to us today. God, we give you praise, glory, honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. Amen. Turn around real quick and tell somebody, Good morning. Amen. We are so, so glad that you're here. Listen, this morning we're going to continue part two of our series, uh, A City on a Hill. And we actually started this last week and we talked about, anybody remember what we talked about last week? Salt and, I gave you half of it, salt and light. We talked about the Christian's responsibility in society to be salt and light. And we talked about the properties of salt. We talked about the properties of light. And really got into some meat and potatoes of the Word of God. We, we talked about, uh, as it relates to salt, losing its flavor. Uh, Jesus said in Revelation 3, concerning the church at Laodicea, I would that you were hot or cold, but not lukewarm. And so we talked about how God wants us to be on fire for Him or not. Not to be in the middle, but to be one way or the other. In or out. Then we talked about light. How light exposes darkness. How light creates a path. And in that message, we talked about how Jesus very simply said, no man lights his candle and places it under a basket. No, because then its effectiveness is not used. He said, no, but it shines so that all in the house can see it. 
And in that passage, what we talked about was we talked about how uh, in Jesus' day, they had just but one kind of lamp. It was a little uh, wick lamp that they would take oil and cloth and light it. But we relate that to the fact of how today, we can go to Lowe's, Home Depot, Ace, whatever, and buy all different types of lights. In fact, you can spend your whole day and as much of your budget building as you want to on lights today. And we talked about how Christians are not to be strobe lights on and off, on and off. Hello? We talked about how Christians were not to have a dimmer switch on their lights. Come on. Meaning, meaning you, you, you shut it down when you're in the midst of some people. You don't turn it all the way off, but you, you tailor it down so you're not too radical. And then we talked about how Christians shouldn't have their lights on a timer. Amen. Like Christmas lights, only to come on on Sunday and on Wednesday. Jesus said, let your light shine. Come on, say that with me. Let your light shine. This morning, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. This morning, I want to talk about the power of compassion. The power of compassion. This last week, as I was reading, I was studying, I heard a story, and it greatly impacted me. I'm always looking for good, really good, just kind of real-life situations that, that really paint a picture of Scripture. And I found something that fit right along with this. There was this story about a man named Daniel. And this man, Daniel, was a very successful Wall Street businessman. And he was, uh, you know, a way upper six-figure stockbroker, worked on Wall Street. And if you've ever been to New York City, you understand it's hustle and bustle. You think people are rude. They're really not. They just, they're walking. They're trying to get where they're going. They don't look. They don't make eye contact. Because if you make eye contact... That means you got to stop and you got to acknowledge or something of that nature. But people are busy in the hustle and bustle of life. And like most people, Daniel had a routine. He took the same path to work every single day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, we're just creatures of habit. You know you do it. You take the same route to the store, same route to the church, very seldomly, maybe every once in a while. But for the most part, we're creatures of habit. One thing about New York City that's not something that is is a shock to any of us. Neither is it a shock if you've ever been in any big city like Chicago or L.A. or Houston or even some parts of Dallas, is you see homeless people all over the place. People have signs and they're holding them up and they're asking for money. Many of them have uh, maybe a shopping cart with some things. They have a, a tent set up or whatever. But they're, they're sitting there uh, begging for some type of attention, begging for some type of relief. And, and all of us go through these questions in our mind. Is it legit? Is it not? Is it a scam? Is it, don't you look at me with that judgmental tone of voice. I know you've all been the same way. You, we just ask the question, is this real? Because most of us have a desire, I think, to want to help, but we don't want to be taken advantage of. And, and so because of the busyness of life and, and everything, uh, so Daniel would just walk to work every day and he would keep his head up. He wouldn't look at anybody. You know, he would just walk right up to his building, get in, hit the elevator, and clock into work every day. Except for this one Tuesday, something was different. He walked by and he caught the eye of this man named Samuel who was sitting there with the sign that was homeless. He saw him multiple times. Many times he had passed by him on the way to work. And one day when he was walking by, an inner voice spoke to him. Now, I don't know if he was a Christian, but an inner voice spoke to him and, he, and the inner voice, maybe it was his conscience, said this, that could be you. 
And all of a sudden, he, he just walked into work and, and, and he tried to shake that all day. Got off work, he went home and, and uh, Samuel wasn't there. He didn't know where he had disappeared to. But the next day on Wednesday, he got up and he went to work and he saw that this man, uh, Samuel, was back there in the same place as he had always been. And this time, he couldn't help but break eye contact and look and see uh, that he was sitting there with the same sign. And, and all of a sudden, that nagging inner voice told him, he said, Daniel, turn around and talk to him. He wrestled with his inner self. He said, I've got a meeting. I've got this. I've got that. And I've got all types of things on my schedule and my calendar, and I must go see about them. And, and all of a sudden, he just said, okay. And so he sent a text into his office. He said, I'm going to be about an hour late, and I need you to reschedule my appointments and he sat down in his suit on the sidewalk of, 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 of New York City and talked to this homeless man. And he began to ask him questions about his life. And, and over the course of an hour, here's what he found out. He found out that this man was not so much different than he was. He one time had dreams and aspirations for his life. He one time had a family. He had gone to school. He had had an education. But because of misfortune and rising costs and, and because of a few stupid decisions to dull his pain in the middle of his problem, he found himself homeless in one of the most expensive places to live in the United States. I don't know if you ever want kicks and giggles sometimes. Go to Zillow or go to Airbnb website and look and see how much it costs to live in New York City. It is absolutely crazy. So they sit there and they talk. And all of a sudden, this becomes a regular part. Daniel's routine. A successful Wall Street businessman. Upper six-figure level salary. Now sitting down relating to this person who, to everybody else, they stink. They've been uh, rejected and neglected. They've been rained upon. They have been spit on. They have been passed by. And now he's sitting here relating to him. Why? Because of the power of compassion. See, compassion is an important thing for us to have. In fact, the Bible is is replete with examples where Jesus talks to us about how compassion is so important. In fact, there was one instance where Jesus was going from village to village teaching people, and the Bible says that he was moved with compassion as he viewed the crowds because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so, so gracefully as he always does, he healed them all. He cast out their spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. Jesus was so compassionate upon those who needed it. And I want to tell you something. The story of this Wall Street businessman and this homeless man named Samuel needs to speak to all of us this morning that we must not get so busy in our lives that we fail to see the things that are around us every single day. We take the same path to work. We hang out with the same friends. We have the same hobbies and all of these things. And you know, when you, when you do the same thing over and over again, it is so easy for us to become numb to the things that are around us. They almost become visible. The problem is, is that statistically, 
our crime statistics, our teen pregnancy statistics, our drug addiction statistics tell us that they're not invisible. Folks, I'm not talking about some far-flung country. I'm not talking about New York City now. I'm not even talking about some big place like Tulsa or Oklahoma City. Here in Woodward, Woodward County, we have people who are hurting. We have homeless. We have drug addicts. We have unwed mothers, unplanned pregnancies. We have people who are struggling to get off the bottle, whether or not that's the pill bottle or the alcohol bottle. We got people who are struggling with their purpose in life. They're confused. They're torn. They're battered. They're broken. But the question this morning we have to ask ourselves is this, do we pass on the other side of the road like we didn't see it? Or do we allow ourselves like Christ to be compelled with compassion to the middle of their brokenness? See, this morning, when you speak of the word ministry, a lot of people think what I'm doing right now is ministry. And they say, man, I want to do ministry. And this indeed is a part of my pastoral ministry, but this is such a small, minuscule portion of what ministry is. Because ministry is, hurting, is, is helping the broken. Ministry is walking with the down and out. Ministry is getting involved in crisis. Ministry is answering problems. And friend, you and I must be so ever careful in our lives to not be so high on our spiritual high horse to think that we have arrived to a place to where we no longer can see the needs of people in our everyday lives. Friend, listen, Jesus left heaven to come down to earth to reach the broken. And if Jesus can leave heaven to come down from heaven and reach the broken, then you and I can come down from our lofty perches and reach the broken with the resources that He has given us. Because guess what? Just like this young man saw, it could have been me. It could have been you. For some of us, it was you. It was me. But thank God He had compassion. And He reached down in the muck and the mire and pulled us up from the guttermost and set us beside the uttermost. That's the power of compassion we see. Jesus so often demonstrated in Scripture. You know, this passage is interesting. Jesus was a master storyteller. He never wasted words. The Bible gives us the context in Luke chapter 10. Here's what happens. The Bible says that a, a, a lawyer, a certain lawyer, stood up, tested him. He began to ask him these questions. I, I don't want to read it all again, but I, want, I do want to read the first half of it for context's sake, then I'm going to explain the rest. Luke 10, verse 25 says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? See, a lawyer is asking a question. So you say, Okay, answer your own question. What's written in the law? And he says, and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But notice this, verse 29, it says, but wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? If you're writing notes this morning or you're highlighting in your Bible, this statement is a key to understanding this parable. Who is my neighbor? You see, this was a lawyer. He was seeking to trip up Jesus. And in our text, Jesus goes on to say, there was a certain man who went down from Jerusalem and went to Jericho. He begins to talk about how he fell among thieves. And as he fell among thieves, it says that they robbed him and they stripped him and they left him half dead. They beat him half to death. And all of a sudden, a, 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 a priest passed by, religious person. He was walking by. This was a dangerous road. I'm going to explain to you a little bit about that in a moment. But the priest was walking by and he saw that need. He goes, well, not today. Then the Bible says a Levite came by. Levite said, no, I don't think I want to mess with that today. Then a Samaritan, of all people, saw the need. Willing, willing to risk it all. Passion. Now, Jesus breaks this down because he never wastes words. See, I told you just a moment ago, the key to understanding this parable was the, the, the phrase, and who is my neighbor? The reason why this is important, because in Jewish culture, specifically among the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees, and the religious upper crust, they had this society, if you will, that believed we take care of our own. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. The problem, though, was that type of Friendly hospitality only extended to the Jews. In other words, there were these people like the Samaritans that you didn't have to mess with them. You just help your own kind. You just help your own kind. People that look like you, people that talk like you, people that go to the same synagogue as you, people that, come on, you help your own kind. So Jesus said, let me just tell you a story. Here's my answer to who is your neighbor. There was a man who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. I told you a couple weeks ago to go anywhere in Jerusalem, you have to go up. So that means to leave Jerusalem, you have to go down. And one of the places that is just off in the distance from Jerusalem, it was an ancient city called Jericho. Now, there is an ancient city of Jericho, and then there's a more modern city of Jericho. And so what we're speaking of today is the more modern city of Jericho, not the one that Joshua would have marched around, but there's a city called Jericho. And there was this road literally called the Jericho Road. Been to it, I've seen it, it's pretty cool. And this road was treacherous. It was advised that you didn't pass through this at night because it might not end well with you. You see, the Bible says a certain man passed down this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. The fact that this man was leaving Jerusalem 
and coming down to Jericho tends to imply that perhaps this was a Jewish person who had come to worship and then now they were returning back home on their journey and they went down the Jericho road. See, you may not know anything about this road called the Jericho road, but what if I told you this morning you actually know more about it than you think? Because it has many names. David actually talked about this road in the 23rd Psalm. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The valley of the shadow of death actually lied upon this long stretch of road called the Jericho Road. And this valley of the shadow of death was a place that people were afraid to pass. The shepherds were afraid to take their sheep because bandits and robbers often would lie in want and wait there to pounce upon the unexpected, to rob them, kill them in worst case scenario, steal their sheep and make off into the night. It was David who penned those words, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. To some people, they may even say, this guy should have known better. He shouldn't have gone down this road. But he did. And the Bible says that they got him and they stripped him and they beat him half dead. They left him there suffering. And then here along comes a Levite. Priest. You know, there's all type of ritualistic things that priests have to abide by in the Old Testament. I don't know what this particular priest was thinking, but perhaps he thought that if I touch this man, then I'm going to be unclean, and then I can't go and perform my priestly duties. In other words, I'm too busy doing church work to help you. Then... A Levite came by. Now you got to understand, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Then here comes a Levite. He walks by, he passes by on the other side of the road. I don't know if he had an appointment to deal with, but there was an appointment. And then all of a sudden, glistening out of a distance, there comes a Samaritan. Now Samaritans and Jews, they don't like each other. More so, it's the Jews who don't like the Samaritans, but Jews uh, potentially uh, throughout history had called them dogs. Called them dogs because they weren't, how should I say this? They, they, they weren't purebred people. They weren't like the Jews, you know, they were mixed with a little of this and a little of that. And maybe they had some Jew in them, but they just weren't seen as pure. And, and so, uh, you know, the Lord had to work some of this out of the early church. That's why Peter had a vision of a sheet with unclean animals. It's why in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when Jesus said you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he included Samaria at the end because he said, I'm going to take you to people that nobody wants. But get this, Samaritan comes, sees the need, chooses rather than to look away to risk it all to help. Now, you know, this Samaritan could have been rejected. This Jewish man lying on the floor, half dead, could have, been so, could have had so much hatred in his heart. He could have kicked and fought. He could have said, I'd rather die than let a Samaritan help me. But he didn't. The Bible said that he 
poured in the oil and the wine, and he wrapped his bandits, took him and placed him on his animal, perhaps a donkey, put him on his animal, and took him to the nearest downtown hotel. Went into the innkeeper and said, I need a room for the night. He's not well enough to make a journey today. And in the morning, he got up and he had to leave. I guess the man was still not well enough to travel, so he said, I'm going to give him some money on his books. He said, but listen, I'm going to come back through. And he told the innkeeper, he said, if you have to do anything else for him, you let me know. When I come through this road all the time, I'm going to take care of the bill. Then Jesus snaps out of his storybook telling, and he asked the man this question. Verse 36, he said, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Verse 37, and he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. What was Jesus trying to teach? Jesus was trying to teach this lawyer in this moment. That fulfilling the law of God was very simple. Love God, love people. It doesn't matter how your mission statement is worded and what you say and whatever. It all boils down to this one thing. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Jesus was trying to tell him, if you want to be righteous, if you want to enter into eternal life, You can't just love people who look like you. You can't just love people who have it all together. You can't just love people who who fit your social and societal norm. If you want to make it into the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be right in the eyes of God, you've got to learn to have compassion and love towards everybody, no matter the cost. This morning, if you're taking notes, there are, Uh, just three little simple things that I saw to this passage that I want to mine out today and talk to you about. The first one about compassion, the power of compassion is this. Number one, we must have convicting compassion. We got to see the need. Just going to be real honest this morning. This is no offense to anybody who struggles with visual impairment because I've I've had eye surgery, so I'm I'm not laughing at you. But the truth is, spiritually speaking, most of us walk around like Ray Charles in the world. We walk around like Stevie Wonder, humming the song, bobbing our head, but we don't see what's in front of us. We don't see the fact that there are people in our communities who need help. They don't need a hand out, they need a hand up. They need somebody to speak life into them. They need somebody to tell them they have purpose. They need somebody to tell them that God has a plan for their life and that, listen, he's not going to leave you and he's not going to forsake you. We've got to recognize the call to love and care for others. That's why it blessed me so much uh, a couple of weekends ago, when, whenever we served out at the, the pregnancy center to see some of our people that were there on that Saturday, and they were serving by organizing and cleaning and making a neat place so that these young women, who, listen, they're not coming from Tulsa. They're not coming 
from Oklahoma City. These women that come to the women's clinic in Woodward are coming from Shattuck, from Gage, from Laverne, from Woodward, come on, from Visai, from the small community. They are coming here. And church, we have to have convicting compassion. What does that look like? It means we don't only have to just see the need, but we've got to be moved with compassion. What, what does the word compassion even mean? Webster, uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines as this. Sympathetic consciousness of others' distress with a desire to alleviate it. Sympathetic. Sympathetic. It could have been me. It was me. A consciousness of others' distress with the desire to alleviate it. We've got to have that convicting compassion in our life. We've got to examine the selfless response of the Good Samaritan. We must be driven to action. Must be driven to action. We've got to sensitize our hearts to the needs around us. How do you do that? Well, most of us are desensitized. So how do you sensitize your, your heart? Slow down a little bit. Look people in the eyes. Ask them their story. You never know when you find out. Had it not been for one or two more decisions, it could have been you. On the street, homeless, addicted, prostituting, sex trafficked, you never know. We've got to have convicting compassion to see the needs around us. But you know, it's not enough. It's not enough to see the need. Because the Levites saw the need. The priests saw the need. Many of us see stuff all the time. The question is though, what do we do about it? See, we must not just have convicting compassion. Are you ready for this? We must have courageous compassion. Courageous. What does that mean? Well, I told you a moment ago, that Samaritan really did take a big risk. That Samaritan took as big of a risk as the woman with the issue of blood who pressed herself through the crowd to get to Jesus. The law said she was unclean. Nobody, she wasn't supposed to touch anybody, but she did it anyway. It was courage. And this Samaritan said, you know what? I'm running the risk right now of being kicked. I'm running the risk of being slapped. I'm running the risk of, of, of being totally rejected. But true compassion must have an element of courage behind it. We have to step out in action. See, you and I must embrace the, the, the courage to engage others. You know, the fact, one thing that stops people from truly engaging in the lives of the broken is courage. 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 To step in the middle of the mess of people's lives It takes courage. Folks, let me tell you something. When you get down with the homeless, you might leave your time of ministry dirty. You might leave it smelling a little bit. 
You see, ministry is not just this. Ministry is, is finding a need and filling it. Seeing a hurt and healing it. And sometimes it's just as much as giving a glass of water in his name. Because listen, yes, we need to preach the gospel to people. Listen, people cannot be saved without the gospel. They cannot be saved without the gospel. You can go and help somebody who's half beaten on the side of the road, change their tire, give them a hundred bucks, and send them on their way, and they can hit an 18-wheeler and still die and go to hell. The gospel is, is utmost necessity. But the hurting, somebody say the hurting. The hurting are more likely to hear our message when we help alleviate their pain. A starving child is more likely to sit and listen if you put some sandwiches on their belly. A, star, uh, a, 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 a heat-stroked person in the middle of a desert who is as parched as the land around them, who is just craving a drop of water, will listen so much more if you give them something to drink. If you bandage a wound... If you offer some counsel, if you pray. But nothing happens first when we don't step out with courageous compassion. Oftentimes people say, I don't want to do that. That's not really what I'm called to do. I want to ask you something. What are you called to do? Are we not called to model our Savior? Jesus said, as a rebuke to some, he said, I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was in prison, you didn't visit me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And they turned and they said, Lord, when were you naked? When were you hungry? When were you in prison? He said, in as much as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it for me. And then another place in scripture, he says the opposite. He said, he who gives a cup of cold water in my name will in no wise lose his reward. Folks, listen, sometimes I think we complicate so much this simplistic message of a God who came from heaven where it was all perfect. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, or chapter 8 rather says that... um, uh, he, he was rich, but for our sakes became poor. What does that mean? He left the splendor of heaven. The infinite one stepped out of time and became an infant. The creating one who spoke the world into existence. Job 26.7 says, God stretched the north out over the empty space and hung the earth on nothing. And is still hanging on nothing, spinning around in the universe. The God who created the sun, the moon, the stars, and the trees, the creating one became a cradle of one. He stepped out of eternity down into time. And he lived like us. You want to know why? Because us in our sin... Us in our unrighteousness, us in our unholiness, we could not make it 
to him. Old Testament patterns prove that. That's why the sacrifices were not sufficient. Every year another goat. Every year another dove. Every year another offering. It never cleansed the sin. It only pushed the penalty of it a year forward. God showing us in his infinite mercy how Jesus would come and one time for all the Hebrews writers said would be the sacrifice for our sin and guess what Jesus did he left the portals of heaven he came down to this blue marble planet that he created to live in human flesh in that tan Galilean skin walked among us without sin died on a cross with courageous compassion why because he wanted to save humanity I'm so glad this morning that Jesus wasn't sitting up in heaven saying you know father I really just don't want to get dirty that redemption thing's too bloody it's going to cost me too much that's not what he did he endured the cross He endured the pain, the suffering. Two beams. Three nails. A crown of thorns. A spear in his side. With the joy, Hebrews said, set before him. He endured it. Why? Because our Messiah had courageous compassion. He wasn't worried about our sin getting on him. He was more worried about his righteousness getting on us. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes when it comes to dealing with the lost, the hurting, the broken, maybe we need to quit worrying so much about if their smell is going to get on us and start worrying about can our Jesus get on them? Prisons are full of rapists, pedophiles, murderers. And oftentimes they tell you they don't have many people that think they're worth anything. They've they've done too much. They've gone too far. Thank God for people like Chaplain Weaver, who it's more than a job to him, that they do that. Thinking about hospice care. Miss Donetta, tell you, not, not all the patients are pleasant. Sometimes it's difficult. Thankful about people who deal with trauma and they deal with grief. And it takes a person to have some, cor- some courage to get in the middle of their pain. To step out in action. Folks, listen, we must go beyond our comfort zones to make a tangible difference. This is why... I'm I'm encouraging each and every one of us, the next time we have an outreach ministry, listen, there are eight other weeks you can go to the lake. Give me two hours. Just two. You can schedule it ahead of time. And come join us. Not as we go to some four-flung corner of the earth somewhere. That's good. We, We believe in missions. We've proven that. But I've told you, it's not either or. It's both and. What good does it do to have a church on a hill if we can't be a city on the hill to our community? You've got to have courageous compassion. Here's the third thing. The third thing is this. Not only must we have 
courageous compassion, we must have continuous compassion. You know why? Because it's not about an event. It's not about an event. It is about a person. It's not about an event. It's about a person. You see, looking at our story, this Samaritan could have popped through and, all right, spent my two hours here. All right, praise God. Let me take my little picture. Got to post it on Instagram. We hung out today. All right, cool. He could have left and went home and never thought another thing about this person. But that's not compassion. That's a photo opportunity. True compassion, true ministry is not about an opportunity. It's about continuation into the lives of the hurting. That's why this man said, here's what I need to do. I'm going to take your broken body. I want to pour in the oil and the wine. The wine served as an antiseptic. The oil served as a healing agent. He wrapped it up, wrapped it up, made sure it was clean, took him to an end, made sure he got some rest. And then he said, listen, what I did for you today is just to get you by today. I want to make sure you get on your feet. And so I'm going to make provision with this innkeeper that if you need anything, he's just going to take care of it and I'm going to repay. Folks, listen to me. We need more than just the two hours every eight weeks. We need to develop a heart and a mindset within our people that this city is our responsibility and we must reach the guttermost, most unrighteous, filthy, rank sinner that has ever walked the streets of our city because they need Jesus. Continuous compassion, a lifestyle of consistent care. One of the great things about us taking people on these outreaches to serve Saturday is every single time we've went, I've had people come to me and say, you know, I think I want to volunteer here more often. I think I want to volunteer here more often. Because somebody catches a vision of compassion. We've got to partner with others. This this. Samarian partnered with this innkeeper. And he said, whatever's going to happen, we're going to take care of it. Happy to tell you, our church is a place that we seek to have continuous compassion. That's why monthly, we partner with the Hope Center. Monthly, we partner with the different agencies in our community. Not every single one of them. We're adding, we're adding them all the time. But listen, we're, we're, we're partnering with them because we're, we're trying to tell them we don't just want to be a one and done, a wham, a bam, thank you, ma'am. We don't want that. We want to be an outreach, a life source in this community so that we can make a difference with the gospel that we have in our hearts. Listen, friends, we're called to be salt and light. We've got to have continuous compassion. So the question I want to ask you today is this. Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? The one on whom He showed mercy. And what did He say? Go 
and do likewise. Go and do likewise. This morning, I'm challenging all of us in these closing thoughts in the next few moments to make a determination in our heart today who we're going to be. Are we going to be the Levite or the priest that continue to just walk by and act like we don't see the problem? Or are we going to be risky like that Samaritan who says, even if it costs me, I'm going to show compassion. I'm going to show compassion. I want everybody right now, don't stand just yet. I want everybody to close their eyes. We're going to receive communion in a few minutes, but for now, close your eyes. I want you to stop and clear your mind for just a moment. We sit here this morning. I mentioned several things. Drug addicts, pill addicts, unwed mothers, rape victims, domestic abuse victims, homeless, hurting, in crisis. Some of you in this room, that you've been that person. Quite honestly, some of you are that person. But this morning, I want us all to just stop for a moment and realize that if it were not for God's grace, and His mercy. Some of us would have been in those same positions. Some of you have that addictive background. What if you wouldn't have stopped? What if somebody would have been there to help you? What if that guy wouldn't have married you? Left you alone to raise that baby? What if, by the grace of God, it could have been any one of us? My question today, which person do you want to be? Do you want to be the priest and Levite who passed on the other side? Or do you want to be the Samaritan that says, I'll see it and I'll do something about it? God's looking for some Samaritans. Who will say, I'll be a good neighbor. See, the thing about the Samaritan is nobody thought they were even qualified to help. But when somebody's hurting, qualifications really don't matter, do they? The Bible doesn't say that that man from Jerusalem who fell among thieves, he didn't ask for the Samaritan's credentials, his resume, his background. He just merely received the help. Today, I'm asking you the question, what kind of person do you want to be? In just a moment, we're going to pray. But right now, I'd like to ask you to stand.
power of compassion. You know, Jesus left heaven. Everything that was there for you. He got down in the middle of it all. Just ask the woman at the well. Just ask the woman caught in the act of adultery. Just ask the demon-possessed man at Gadara. Just ask the multiplied, multiplied hundreds if not thousands of people Jesus helped on His short time on earth. Just ask Mary Magdalene, who was a woman of the night who was possessed with many devils. Jesus got down in the middle of it. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that you need Jesus to get in the middle of your mess.